0: Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 27. We'll be looking tonight at verses 6 through 10. uh, I've entitled the outline, Rebecca's Response to Isaac's Plan. Uh, Gentlemen, when you go rogue and uh, you make plans for the family that you don't include your wife on, be assured she'll have a response to your plan. And I think that's probably the greater lesson for us to learn here tonight is that Isaac went rogue, as we looked at last Wednesday night. Isaac made some decisions for the spiritual blessings of God, that went against what God had said would be the case, and went against what Rebekah had hoped would be the case. And tonight, as I said, we'll see uh, her response to Isaac's plan. Genesis 27, starting in verse 6, "...And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord, bef- before, the Lord before my death." Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids. This is uh, not children. These are young male goats of the goats. And I will make them savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. It's this seems to be an immediate response to what we read in the first five verses of the chapter. Based on her phrasing here, "I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother," it still seems uh, very likely that she was not brought into that initial conversation between Isaac and Esau. I do want to read those first five verses again now. But now that you've seen verses six through ten, uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that she was if she was in earshot, but she was not uh, invited in. Uh, Again, those first five verses read as follows. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old, not close to death like he thought, but old, and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold now, I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and make me some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard, and Isaac spake, heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Just three points tonight, and uh, you know, based on what we said in the introduction, it probably won't be a very long night. Um, three points Rebekah's error, Rebekah's plan, and Rebekah's results. Uh, Looking at Rebecca's heir first, her motives may be more in line with God's revealed will, which we saw, um, we've read a couple of times now, what the Lord had told her while the kids were still in the womb, uh, while they were uh, giving her strife, giving her pains, obviously wrestling together. He had revealed his plan for them uh, all the way back in Genesis 25, I believe it was. Unfortunately, with the new Bible, I don't have it marked like I did before. Uh, But you no doubt recall that from our studies. But their actions, the the actions that she calls into play here uh, to usurp and deceive her own husband were not in line with God's plan. Uh, this is not the first time we, we're going to see it, not, uh, not the last time we're going to see it either. Uh, But the ends justify the means is a phrase of man, not a phrase of God. It's certainly not biblical. It's not a proverb. The ends justify the means is what man says just before he does something horrible, like try to help God, try to do something for God, or try to prevent God. And it's utter foolishness. The ends do not justify the means. If God said this was going to come to pass, that the younger shall serve the older, then it's going to come to pass. God didn't require her intervention God certainly didn't tell her to lie and be deceitful here. And again, it's not a phrase of God's general conversation. She failed to understand, perhaps did not have the faith to understand, as we've been seeing in the, the Lord's earthly ministry on the Sunday afternoons, that God's will would be accomplished whether or not men cooperated in its accomplishment. And we see that uh, countless times with Simon Peter, but even more recently with the nine disciples that were left behind as the Mount of Transfiguration incident happened, what they went through at the bottom, what they tried to do without the Lord. And when I say without the Lord, you recall again, this doesn't mean his physical absence. They tried to do it of themselves without faith. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Without faith, we are also ill-equipped. We can do nothing. What a great many lessons we can learn from this early family in the Messianic line. And as I said, this chapter doesn't, doesn't paint a very pretty picture of Isaac's household. His will is to be preeminent in our lives, for it will come to pass. I don't know that we need to come up with a clever way to remember that is called will to begin with, his will. His will will. It's going to happen. He's the God of all the universe. There's nothing that he has foreordained. There is nothing that he has proclaimed. There's nothing that's been foretold that has not come to pass if it was already supposed to come to pass. The sequences of what remains kicks off with the rapture, and I have no doubt it will follow the exact sequence for which God had planned it because he has no need to work around any obstacles. There's nothing that will come up unforeseen. Is it not better that we be familiar with his word in ways so that we can be found working in accordance with it and watching for his return? Would it not have been better for Rebecca to say, oh, Isaac's getting in the way perhaps of God's will, but I can't wait to see how he's going to work this out. I can't wait because I've been told by God how this is going to happen, what's going to happen, and though Isaac is certainly uh, presenting a decent obstacle, it's no obstacle for God. It might be an obstacle for her faith, but it's not going to be an obstacle for God's will to come to pass. Instead of going to God in prayer, as you recall she did when these babies were struggling within her. Uh, Ladies, I know I've never been pregnant, but is there a more helpless situation as far as uh, the pains and the things going on within your body than when you're pregnant? These two children fighting within the womb. She was left to a point where there was nothing she could do but pray. But here she's now convinced there's something she can do instead of pray. The universe hasn't changed. It doesn't suddenly orbit Rebecca. She doesn't suddenly have control now that she didn't have before. She depended on her own plans, a practice that would be characteristic of Jacob in later years. The blessing of God is not a magic that rests in word alone. His providence in plan rests in waiting until the time it is called upon. This is the very design of all these things. Recall uh, when when Jesus and the two angels visited Abraham at the tent, and Abraham was excited that this might be the time in which they're told that a baby is coming. And remember when Adam and Eve first were granted a child back in Genesis four, and they thought this is it, this is the promised seed, this is the one. Because there'd never been a baby before, according to Scripture. This has to be the one. This could be very likely the one. It's okay to have anticipation, but His providence will wait for the time in which it was appointed. It will not be rushed and it will not be slowed down. As light was not light until pronounced into action, it was non existent in and of itself until God said, Light be, and then light was. What God had told her in Genesis 25, verse 23, was simply His plan. He was going to call it into existence at the appointed time. Now that I have the verse, let's go back and look at it. Genesis 25, verse 23. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. What an amazing gift! God had literally told her what was going to take place. And it's as though it it rests dormant and it makes no sense with what we see happening in the world. But when he calls on it, it will come to the forefront. Those who can't fathom the rapture, the the, the skies rolling up as a scroll, a giant uh, or a loud trump sound, and all the saints being caught up in the air, That's almost impossible for us to imagine, is it not? But when he calls for it to happen, when the appointed time comes, there'll be none of us who are born again wrestling on the ground with, is this possible? But eager anticipation for what lies ahead. And that's, beloved, the more I read it, that's the beginning of us not having a clue what's next, just eagerly anticipating every minute that follows if there if there's a way to measure time even in that bliss we will no longer be trying to wrestle with is this it and, and is this allowed to be it are we permitted to say this is it because no man knoweth the hour we will just simply follow and that's the the release of of the burden that we have in the flesh is it not that we're so burdened and so overcome with If I'm right, then this one's wrong, and if they're right, then I'm wrong, and so on and so forth, and we'll just simply follow. When we are freed from this, freed from our fallen estate, we will just simply follow. No longer will we get in each other's hair. No longer will we struggle and wrestle with every little thing. We will just follow. No one will be late. For those like myself that are just obsessed with being on time, no one will be late ever again. And for those who hate us that like to be places on time, no one will ever be early ever again. Everything will be as ordained. Everything will be perfect. Everything will be in harmony for the saints of God. But here in this life, we do have the tendency to jump ahead and say, God needs my help. And we just read about this on Sunday with the patience of God in the opening. Where we talked about, you know, God's just doing the best that he can. It's nonsense. He's not doing the best that he can. He's doing a perfect job. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's shown way more mercy than we deserve, and he continues to pour it forth. The second thing for us to consider is Rebecca's actual plan. And I should point out here when you're headed headlong into sin, the fact that you have an organized plan to do it does not alleviate the guilt and responsibility of the fact that you sinned. Uh, Abraham having this great, masterful plan that, you know, if we end up in a situation where because you're so beautiful, Sarah, they're going to kill me, you just tell them you're my sister. It's no less a sin because he had this grandiose plan before he left the the Chaldeans. He planned to sin. So her plan here doesn't alleviate the fact that she's guilty. And I want us to make sure we understand that, because I know myself, I like to make plans. And I get myself in a lot of trouble with that. Rebecca's plan, counting on his blindness as a covering for her wickedness. Rebecca sought to deceive her own flesh. Her own husband, too, made one, as we talked last time. All of this under the guise that God needed her and or Isaac's help. That God, and there's two different things here, right? She believes that Isaac is derailing God's plan. Ladies, I'm sure you love your husbands, and you follow your husbands, but do any of you really believe your husbands are going to derail the plan of God? Rebecca did. And the other error, of course, is that she believes she could help God. She could right the ship for God. Now, Husbands, we love our wives, but do any of us truly believe that as good a housekeepers as they are, or as good as home leaders as they are, or as just good, wholesome human beings as they may be, that they're going to right the ship for God? No. Was not Sarah also so naive? Turn back to Genesis 16, verses 1 through 2. It's no minor thing. She couldn't have a baby, so she said, Go sleep with my handmaid. Genesis 16, 1 through 2 Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, which, recall, came from the lie that took him in there during the great famine to begin with. And her name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. She's correct so far. This was God's hand. I pray thee, go in unto my handmaid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. I've yet to find a place in the Bible where a husband hearkening under the words of his wife is mentioned in a good way. And ladies, I'm not trying to attack you. It was not good when Adam hearkened under the words of Eve. It's not good here when Abram hearkened under the words of Sarai. Uh, And if we find a place where it's good, then I will repent and we'll focus on it for weeks if you'd like me to. But so far it seems that the man is called to lead his home, not hearken under the theories and plans of his wife to help God. And this is consistent with what we've seen since Genesis 1. These two acted on a God-dishonoring proverb, according to Pink, that is not all, not at all biblical, that of which states, the Lord helps those who help themselves. That's not biblical. I know it sounds scriptural. I've had the same discussion with my mother a number of times, but the Lord helps those who help themselves is not scriptural. Not any more scriptural than the Lord will not put more on you than you can handle. Also, not scriptural. In truth, God helps those who have come to the end of themselves. He shows mercy to whomever he sees fit to show mercy upon. Romans 9, 15 and Romans 9, 18. There's two things she seeks to take advantage of here of her own husband, of her own flesh, his lack of sight and his lack of taste. I want to deal first with his lack of sight, which is beyond spiritual sight. We'll see more of these details in the next portion of text, so we'll just hit the, hit the highlights here or the, or the overlaying details that we have in our text. That Jacob would simply be asked to stand in Esau's place, to usurp or supplant him, if you will. This whole plan hinged on the fact that Isaac's sight was so bad, he wouldn't be able to tell the difference. All that Isaac asked of his brother in the first five verses of this chapter, all that Isaac asked of Esau, Jacob would now stand in or usurp and do himself at his mother's request. In fact, this might be the first recorded motherly guilt trip in Scripture. Listen again to the text where Rebekah says unto Jacob, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Might be stretching that one a little bit. But this plan has to work. I and mean, if you're in Rebecca's spot here, this plan has to work. There's no room for error. She's pleading with her son Jacob, you have to do this. You have to hearken unto my command. You have to do everything that your father asked of Esau so that he will give you this blessing. Would this be something that Jacob wanted to do? We are not really told at this point in Jacob's life But this was not a request either. It was a command or a charge from his mother. She uses the word command here. This is what she commands him. He's not omitted of guilt as he did commit this action, but the scheme here was hers. Secondly, she seeks to take advantage of his lack of taste. Isaac is just not painted in a great light for someone who's going to live another 50 years after being so close to death in the first five verses. She's going to feed him goat, baby goats, instead of venison. I've not had goat, and it's been years since I've had venison, but I'm sure one is way gamier than the other. I've seen what goats eat. It will soon be revealed for us that it was not truly the taste of Esau's meat that was deserving of spiritual blessings. In Isaac's mind, but rather the craft or the display of his skill, the fact that he would go and and obtain to such an effort and be successful at it. It wasn't necessarily the taste of the meat. And of course, it was not deserving at all of the spiritual blessings of God. God's spiritual blessings do not hinge on whether or not you are the goat, like Tom Brady, of all other athletes or of all other men and your physical attributes and your ability to attain. He shows mercy on whom he deems fit to show mercy on, not on whom is fit to receive the mercy. And this, again, we see in Romans 9, 15, and 18. And we've already seen it here as we've begun to look at this household and the comparison between Jacob and Esau. The final point for us to consider is Rebekah's results. Again, we're going to see more of this as this plan is, is, is rolling here. We're really in the in the setup phase here of, of of her masterpiece. But I want to continue with what we've got so far in the initial covering. Let us note that uh, it may have been Rebecca's hope that she spare her beloved husband some punishment of God. It may have been her desire that we're going to write this ship And we're going to do it deceitfully so Isaac doesn't know about it, so that he doesn't suffer, so the household doesn't suffer, and so God's will uh, is successful. All of these things are in error, mind you, but it could be that her desire was to make sure her husband uh, didn't go down a wrong path. It's very clear that Isaac at no point thus far has carefully considered the blessing that he was charged with, the blessing that he had received, the blessing that he was charged with giving. He clearly was not careful in leading his home. We've seen it already, but now we're kind of seeing it from his wife that the expectation was she would be go to all means to correct these errors. Now, husbands, I, I don't know how you feel about this, and I'm not trying to start a war in our homes. But folks that you're in charge of leading will follow the path that you laid out for them. If you've laid out a path of deceitfulness and wickedness in your home, don't be too surprised when your wives and your children take the similar path and against you. It happens. Lead in a godly manner. And when you haven't, repent openly in front of your family that they see the necessity of repentance, the necessity of going down the right path, the necessity of God being head of our homes. Rebecca likely did not understand what the retribution of God would be on one who willingly disobeyed him. She feared it. We see that in her actions, but it's likely she didn't understand. How often are we caught up in the immediate circumstances of sin rather than the call to repent? It's better that we cover this sin, essentially, is what's motivated this plan of hers. It's better that we cover it. It's better that we hide it. It's better that we appear to be following God than to have to openly admit that we've strayed. That's also an error. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, or turn, or return unto God, and openly confess unto him that you have strayed, and that you are not currently on the right path. That is the godly manner of handling a situation such as this one. Once we've begun the path of deceitfulness, it only continues. Rebecca paid dearly for her sin. She never saw her son again. Listen to the conclusion of this chapter, Genesis 27, uh, down in verse 41. We're just going to read verses 41 to 45. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessings wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder uh, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore my son obey my voice and arise flee thou to Laban my brother to Haran and tarry with him a few days until thy brother uh, until thy brother's fury turn away until thy brother's anger turn away from thee and, for, and he forget that which thou hast done to him then I will send and fetch thee from thence Why should I be deprived also of you both in one day? Now, I I want you to recall, I know we've jumped ahead uh, a few months back to what happens when he goes to Laban. Here now, this is a scheme of moms that landed him there. And before you think I've gone too far with this, I've said before that if I save you, if I've given you the hellfire and brimstone sermon that brought you to the pulpit to give a profession of faith, And I'm really the one that saved you, so to speak. I have to keep you. You've heard me say that. And we have an example here. Rebecca sought out in her plan to save her family from disappointing God. The results, she's got to step in and command Jacob again. And again, and again, and again. you got to flee now. She has to direct every step he takes because he's not on God's path anymore. Now we know God's going to use it, so when I use that phrase, understand what I mean here. God's will still gonna be done. They're not greater than his will. But because she stepped in, she now has to step in again. She's going on hearsay, as you hear in the, in the text, which I don't believe is not true, but she was told, we see in the text, what Esau said. She didn't hear it herself. Before she acted on what she heard, now she's acting on hearsay. This is a fear. This is a a doubt and a lack of faith, is it not? One started with uh, an eyewitness example as Rebecca saw or heard what Isaac intended to do. And now she's to the point by the end of the chapter that she's responding uh, to what she's heard other people say could be the case. And that's what we do. When we follow down a path of wickedness, when we followed and chased down our favorite sin, and we've landed on top of it, we've got to lie people away from it. And we've got to lie it back under the dirt so that nobody sees it. And we have to treat it like uh, Gollum from Lord of the Rings, our precious. We have to protect it. We have to pretend it doesn't exist so that it can be ours and ours alone. And this is where Rebecca ends up. She sends her son away. He ends up in a horrible situation, as we'll get to in future chapters. To her husband, she would later say in verse 46, the last verse of this chapter, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? I wish time would permit to make a comparison between Rebecca sending Jacob to Laban, essentially. And Abraham, Abraham sending his faithful servant to the same place. Because it's the same home, and this, this goes back to that, that statement that we opened with, that the means ju- are justified by the end. They're not. They end up in the same home with a very different experience, and you can really track it back to the motive that got them there. Abraham makes the faithful servant take a solemn vow you might even say Abraham somewhat made a believer out of that servant because that servant's praying all along the way, is he not? That the God of his master would be, uh, would be rewarded for his faithfulness. And Rebekah, in deceit and in fear from hearsay, as we just heard, now sends her son to the same place. A very different motivation. Very different motivation. As we close, we've got to consider the state of this household. Dad attempts to defeat the plan of God's will in the opening verses of the chapter. Is it wrong for us to lay out a plan for God to have to work around? I know God desires this, but this is what I desire, so I'm going to lay the two side by side, and I'm just going to detour, and God will just bring us back. Sometimes he does, and he'll wait a whole generation. Sometimes he'll do exactly what he intended to, but you will suffer great loss along the way. Can man thwart God? Faith tells us that God will not be undone. He will never be destroyed. Mom then, in the text today, attempts to help God. In the verses uh, verses that we talked about tonight, this may be what we most commonly feel is our role, but we are hopelessly wrong. You are not called to help God. He did not need our help to accomplish our deliverance. And he most definitely does not need our help to save others, preserve the church, nor in keeping any of his many other promises. Consider what it would say of a God if he did. Surely it sounds valiant for us to want to help his cause, but that is not what we have been called to. Like Simon Peter, if we love him, we are called to feed the sheep. We are called to point others to Jesus and show them the way through our own walk. We cannot place others on this path. We cannot make them love the Lord. Surely as I tell you how much I love my wife and how much she loves me, it's not my desire that you would join our relationship nor supplant me in our relationship. My most earnest desire would be for you to see love in our relationship. W.H. Griffith Thomas wrote, She was one of those who take upon themselves to regard God as unable to carry out his own purposes, thinking that either he has forgotten or else that his will can really be frustrated by human craft and sin. And so she proved herself to be quite as clever as Isaac and Esau. I love the way he puts that, because it really is a parallel, is it not? Isaac's desire in the first five verses and her plan in these latter five verses, she's just proven herself to be just as clever, just as wise, just as deceitful, just as ignorant, just as crass as Isaac and Esau. Rebekah had been told by God that Jacob would receive God's blessings, yet through her scheming and plotting, she made sure that Esau, also her son, was left out. As Pink wrote, if Rebecca really had confidence in the divine promise, she might well have followed uh, tranquilly the path of duty, assured that in due time God would himself bring his word to pass. This was the business of God himself. Her role was to believe and follow. Let us be faithful to do the same and abstain from all appearances of evil.